Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 81, which along with Psalm 82 are the psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, August the 3rd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I want to point something out about Psalm 82 real quick, and I want you to to consider going and looking at some things on YouTube for me. So um, Psalm 82 begins with this. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Hmm. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look up Psalm 82, Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, and see what you find, and, and watch some video there and see what Heiser's talking about. See how he deals with this passage right here from Psalm 82 and then also some stuff from Psalm 86 as well. It's fascinating stuff and and I'm just trying to work my way through this and understand all this stuff and the implications that it has because it it really is like worldview changing to understand what he's talking about there. Anyway, so we're continuing the story of Gideon in Judges 7, 19 to 8, 12, in John's Gospel, John 1, uh, verses 29 to 42, and in in the book of the Acts, chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 26, which is the aftermath of the healing of the the lame man who was the beautiful gate. They've got a lot of verses to deal with today and a lot of information to assimilate today. So we're going to, I'm going to do it as quickly as I can, but but I still want to do justice to what I've got. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him. Now remember, there were 300 total, and Gideon divided them into three groups of 100 each, so he's leading one of those groups. They came to the outskirts of the camp of the Midianites, and at the beginning of the middle watch, when they, the Midianites, had just set the watch. So it's in the middle of the night. They've, they've gone down, remember, and he heard the dream and the interpretation, and then he went and roused the people and said, let's go now. Let's take this fight to them now, even here in the night. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Remember, in the jars were torches. So they smashed the trumpets. They blow the trumpets, I mean, and smash the jars. And so the commotion then is going to get everybody's attention. So his hundred people did that. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. So they have the element of surprise on their behalf, and they also have the cover of darkness. So these 300 can seem like a larger group of people, especially if you've broken them into groups of 100 and sent them around the camp. So now it feels like they're surrounded. So in the night, they can't see this, so they held in their hands the torches, left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And then they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Well, they're holding a torch in one end and a trumpet in the other. How are they going to fight this battle? Well, let's see. Every man stood in his place around the camp. So they, the 300, just stood there holding a torch and a trumpet. And the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. They're in a complete panic, and and confusion rules the day, and they're killing one another. It's nighttime. They don't know what's going on, so they're killing anybody who's close in hand, so they're killing their own people. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah, towards Zeria, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and Asher and all of Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. So now everybody's coming. So initially the attack is, is 300 holding trumpets and torches. 
and and then they just watched this Midianite army that that was so numerous it was like locusts. They watched them flee and kill each other as they're fleeing. And now they call these other men in, and everybody goes out. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites. So we've got Naphtali and Asher and Manasseh already there, and now he sends for the people of Ephraim. Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So they're cutting off their escape routes. By, by taking away the option of going around the water. Gideon sent messengers. At, so all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, what is this that you've done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. They see, basically, what they're saying is, you wanted all the credit for this. You didn't even give us an opportunity to come and help. And he said to them, what have I done now in comparison to you? Hey, what I've done, no big deal. I smashed some, some jars, held torches and blew trumpets, man. Isn't the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer, which is his clan? God had given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. It's like, well, hey, he gave you the princes of the Midianites. He didn't do anything. I haven't killed a soul. All I did was blow a trumpet and smash a jar. And so you got the glory of killing these princes. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the hunt, 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Sukkoth. And Sukkoth is a place where uh, Jacob was in times past. So we're gonna, he's going to pass through lands that Jacob had been in before. So their, their father, Jacob slash Israel, has been into this place called Sukkoth. We see it there. And it, it means tabernacles. So it's the same word as the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, Please give loaves of bread. He said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they're exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zelmuna, the kings of Midian. So the princes would have been their sons. So they've already killed them, and now he's pursuing the kings of Midian. And the officials of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zelmuna already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? Hey, you haven't killed them yet. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself here because, hey, we've got a lot to fear. If we align ourselves with you, as long as the Midianite kings are still alive, then we don't need to get crossways with them. So, no, no, we're not going to help. So Gideon said, well, then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zomuna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. I mean, that's that's nasty. <laughs> what he's just proposed is punishment for these guys. And he's saying, look, this is not going to end well for them, and it's not going to end well for you because you have denied me and, and decided not to help. And from there, he went up to Penuel, which is also called Peniel. It's the place roughly where Jacob has his hip put out of joint. It also means face of God. And spoke to them, to the men of Peniel, in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered. In other words, hey, we're not picking a side here yet. And he said to the men of Peniel, when I come in peace, I'll break down this tower. So now Zeba and Zilmunna were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the army of the people of the east, for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. So when they put them to flight, man, they killed one another, and then we've got to assume that all these other tribes that come along did some killing too. 
And then Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Noba and Jogabata, Jogabeha, and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. So that these tent dwellers are, are, are people who are nomadic tribes who are not settled. So he goes up where they are, and he attacked the army from there, for the army felt secure. They weren't looking for an attack. And Ziba and Zelmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zelmunna, and he threw all their army into a panic. So the Lord is going to get this victory in every single way because these 300 men put to flight an army that couldn't be numbered. It was an, it's an amazing story to read of, of the leadership of Gideon, but the, but the uh, sovereignty of God in all things. Amazing story. In the gospel today, we remember we're looking at John, and he has denied that he was the Christ, that he was Elijah, that he was the prophet, and said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's my job. I'm, I'm here, though, to point to the one who is coming after me. So the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, the, the Lamb would have been the primary sacrifice for sin, and, and it would point to the Passover as well. So the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's a bigger work. Because he's not taking away the sin of the nation even. It's taking away the sin of the world. So the work that he's ascribing to Jesus is far beyond what anybody is looking for in so many ways. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John, does he have any earthly idea how that's going to happen? Does he have any idea that it's going to happen through the cross? That he will literally be the Lamb who is slain for the salvation of the world? Don't know. He says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And we just heard that prior to this. And what John's saying here is to say he is preexistent. Because he's not saying in space and time he is before me. No, he's saying he is before me and he ranks before me because he is before me. And that's the way that it works. So if you're a rabbi, in order to authenticate what you have to say, you have to connect it to the ones who have come before you. Because they're considered to be greater. They're considered to be superior to you. So he said, I myself didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, John can say that he didn't know Jesus, and what we do here is is that he wasn't sure, and God gave him a sign, and when he saw the sign, he would know. But it's odd, because in the womb, John leapt for joy at the voice of Mary. And so there was always a connection between them. They were cousins, for one thing, but, but John didn't know for certain it was Jesus, even though he had to know origin stories. <clears throat> And then John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So it's, so there could be a counterfeit where the Spirit could, could come down like a dove and, and land and fly away, like it did with Saul. Saul had the Spirit at one time, prophesied, which, um, which affirmed him as the rightful king, as God's choice for the job. But then he didn't continue to prophesy. Here, John says, the Spirit came, descended on him like a dove, and remained. So I've watched, I've seen, and it's continued. 
So that's the affirmation that I have the right one. And he says, and I've seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Powerful statements. Lamb of God, Son of God. The Messiah is what he's saying. The next day he sees him again. He's with two of his disciples. He looks at Jesus. He walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus, which is exactly what they were supposed to do. Look, the one who's more important, he's right there. And so what's your response? Does John want you to continue to be his disciples? No, he's pointing to Jesus and saying who he is for a reason. If you're, This is the one you're looking for. I'm not that one. He is. And so they followed him. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, I mean, that, you can't really call him Lamb of God, Son of God. I mean, Rabbi, I guess that's what we're going to shoot for is Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Really? You think like Jesus is Yelp? You think he's going to give travel recommendations? You think, really? I mean, but what do you say, right? I mean, what are you seeking? Uh, the Lamb of God? The Messiah? I mean, you, you would be hesitant to speak that, to say, hey, John just said that you're the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You're the Messiah, the one who's to come. Is that who you are? That's what we're looking for. But no, where are you staying? <laughs> he said to them, come and you'll see. What did they see? Did they see where he was staying? No, they saw a lot more than that. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we've found the Messiah, which means Christ, or anointed one, is what Christ means. Christos is anointed one. So he doesn't tell us who the other one is. Why does he not tell us who the other one is? I believe, and many people do, not just me, that, that it's John himself, that I'm bearing witness to what I saw. I, I was there that day. I was the, I was the other guy. <laughs> but he says, Andrew went out and found Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, man. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Petra means rock. If you want to see something cool, by the way, look up the city of Petra. Which is over in Jordan. It's one of the coolest things you'll ever see. But Peter is the rock, and that's so. That's what Jesus says to him: "Is this is who you are?" But Andrew, God bless him, you know, immediately goes out after spending that afternoon with Jesus and says, "Hey, we found the Messiah." So you'd love to know what was it y'all talked about that night? What did, what what was it he shared that led you to believe that, or was it just John's testimony? It had to be something that was said among them that day that that caused him to believe this thing. In the Acts passage, remember, they've just healed the man at the beautiful gate. And when Peter saw it, the people coming and praising God for this man's healing, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Why are you looking at us and thinking we're something? You couldn't possibly believe that we two Galilean fishermen, by our power and piety, heal this guy. Is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. So they're, they're saying Yahweh. But that the, the shorthand for that, which sounds strange, is to say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. It, it's They're pointing to Yahweh, but you didn't say the divine name. So the, the best way to say Yahweh is to say he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. So that's exactly what the, what he says. He points to and says Yahweh, the our God. 
he's just glorified his servant, Jesus. And, and then he's going to go back to his Pentecost thing, right? So whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So he's convicting them of the sin of the crucifixion. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Holy moly, that's laying it on pretty dead gum thick, right? I mean, to say you killed the author of life. That, huh. I, again, I, I'm pretty sure that there's no sacrifice, there's nothing in Scripture that tells me what to do if you killed the author of life, if you killed the Messiah, the anointed one, the one chosen by God, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us how to fix that. So the only thing we can assume is is that we have committed, really and truly, the unpardonable sin. But they hadn't. He says, to this, what, what I just said, we're witnesses, and, and his name, by faith in his name, it's not just his name, it's faith in his name. But who had the faith? I mean, that's the thing here with Peter's statement that it's like, is it your faith or is it his, the man's faith? Th- has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Who had the faith? I mean, Peter clearly had the faith that Jesus wanted to do that, but did the man have it? Well, I mean, it's hard to tell when Peter takes his hand and raises him up and then suddenly... The guy's walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, did he have faith in Jesus, in Jesus' name? It's just, man, it's confusing here. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Is acting in ignorance, is that an excuse? In some ways it is, and here's why I say that. What does Jesus pray from the cross for those people who are, who are cursing him and mocking him and spitting on him and, and wishing him to be crucified? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They're acting in ignorance. It's because they don't recognize me for who I am. It's because they have no faith in me at all. It's because they they have believed that I'm an imposter. So, so he says, we know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. And it's exactly what Jesus prays. His Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. But they don't have that excuse now. This, this sign is blowing through the ignorance. Now I'm telling you the truth. You don't have the excuse of being ignorant any longer. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, which is exactly what we see in Isaiah with the suffering servant, which the Jews even to this day say has nothing to do with the Messiah. He, he said he thus fulfilled. That, that for God foretold that his Christ would suffer, Jesus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That this, There's three effects of re- repenting and turning back. That your sins can be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So, these all these things are the benefits that you receive from repentance and turning back, turning away from your sins and turning away from ignorance, because that's a sin now, because now you can know better, because he was resurrected from the dead and you just saw the resurrection power displayed here in the healing of this man lame from birth. 
And then he goes on to say, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So he's linking him not only with the Davidic king, that messianic king, he's also linking him with the promise that Moses makes of a prophet like him. He's linking him with that promise, but also the curse. And it shall be that every soul who doesn't listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. You had an excuse earlier because you were ignorant of who Jesus was. You missed it. Now you no longer can use that excuse because the resurrection of the dead proved it. And this today certifies that even further. He said, so if, if you won't listen to that prophet now, you will be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You were the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from his wickedness. And so he's saying, this is your chance. This is your opportunity to step out of ignorance and into faith. It's an important step for you to make. It's the only step that really matters. You've got to acknowledge the truth now, the truth about Jesus and the truth about your role in his resurrection, not his, re- his rejection and his crucifixion. And if you'll do that, you'll survive and you'll have life and you'll have all the blessings of belief and faith. If you don't, it's not going to go well for you. And it's exactly the same thing that Gideon said to the people of Penuel and the same thing that he said um, to the people of Sukkot, that you can either believe now and it'll go well with you in the future, or you can take the tack you have and it's not going to go well for you at all. The, The living God will deal with those who do not believe and who persecute his people. He will deal with them. And there's no question that that's the case. And so we see in Andrew, the first disciple who, of whom it can be said, truly had faith that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, he had a long way to go, just like they all did, because they all had their own expectations of what it meant to be Messiah. But he at least had the faith to say, we think this is the guy. We think this is the guy. Based on John's witness and the time that they spent with him that day, it's important always for us to walk always in faith because we can trust him in all things. And so if God's called you to something, if he's calling you to something today, step out in faith with boldness because that's where the glory is. That's where the blessing is, is walking in faith and seeing him act in the same way that Peter and John see it that day, in the same way that Gideon and his 300 men saw it in the day of this battle.